1: climate and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet,
0: and I'm Jennifer Burrell.
1: Today we're looking again at the US strategies for world dominance and why we shouldn't get sucked into its vortex. We want to talk about To start out with some of the public and political voices who don't agree with our purchase, our Australian purchase of monster nuclear submarines, and the rest of the August disaster, which joins us militarily with the US and the UK.
0: Yeah, and we're doing this in part because it does feel good to see that we're not alone in our horror at these decisions.
1: Yeah, it is true. It's good to know that our two parties slide into submission to the US's aspiration of global hegemony is not shared by all. Mm -hmm. The airing of prominent opposing voices might also mean that there is a chance to enter into a meaningful national and democratic debate and review other military and global political and economic matters.
0: Mm, And who knows, we may have a general move away from warmongering and towards a sustainable peace and Mm. and as we know well as Leonard Cohen said I think uh, when there are cracks that's where the light gets in so that's right we can open up wedge open these cracks
1: together indeed peace the great missing word in most declarations we have talked about and what we hear on radio and tv so first to the green senator Jordan Steele John week before last Steele John stood up in the senate and gave a remarkable speech. And he did as well a remarkable thing in question and answer. But he said in that Senate speech that the AUKUS Pact poses a fundamental threat to Australian independence, which will unleash a regional arms race that only serves to enrich global arms manufacturers and it will undermine the global effort to fight the climate crisis.
0: Yeah and with climate change being the greatest threat to global peace and security um, I think it's fairly obvious um, climate change is the greatest threat to global peace security well-being if not Survival. Mm-hmm. And, and surely that's where we should be putting our hundreds, hundreds of billions rather than in nuclear submarines.
1: And amongst many of his salient points, Jordan Steele-John said, and I quote, none of us want a repeat of Afghanistan and Iraq. The U.S. is operating in the Asia-Pacific with no regard for national interest or sovereignty of countries involved. This is our home. And as so many countries know, the U.S. government is a bad house guest, Mm. unquote.
0: A bad house guest, yeah. A bad house guest that wants to pick fights with the neighbours and moves permanently into the spare room. That's
1: right. Well, wordsmith Philip Adams said on Twitter, and I quote him, The issue for Australia Australia is not its dying connection to the mouldy costume drama of the U.K. monarchy but our continuing political cringe to the U.S. Republic. To which Mary Costa-Kylis, who is a former SBS uh, uh, presenter, she, she added, except the implications of our servitude to the U.S. are now potentially more devastating or deadly for our country than ever before. Mm. To which Ian Pauline then added another point, and again, Again, another quote, perhaps hand in hand with the tedious groupthink which has our political class and a bewildering consensus amongst most media commentary bewitched beyond alternatives. Mm. Nothing we could possibly imagine that actually would bring stability to our region.
0: And meanwhile, Nine Entertainment's hack, Peter Harcher, (laughs) spruked in the age of the idea of Australia leading a Pacific Union, like the European Union, Mm. to strengthen our defence against China. Mm, That's right. Uh, Really?
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's more of that spruking in today's age, by the way. Mm. Seeing that there's so much overlap with our own thinking and the previous programmes we had on this topic, this programme is our attempt to make sense of it all. And by all, we mean the fact that the U.S. seems to be a common denominator across so many events and processes which involve warfare and destruction that we really have to wonder what's wrong with that country.
0: Mm, Again.
1: Yeah. We have talked about the state of the U.S. already a few times. And as Jordan Steele-John said, we need to remember that it was just 20 years ago that the U.S. and its accessories, including Australia invaded and destroyed Mm -hmm. Iraq and its people under false pretenses. Who can indeed forget the parallel universe in which the presumed weapons of mass destruction were being made into fake news and realities? The incredible length to which the highest brass of the United States Army and State Department went to present so-called evidence of the assumed production of such weapons. Mm
0: -hmm. Weapons of mass destruction. That's right. The pretext for that invasion. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the only evidence that was produced was fake. And we were all lied to.
1: That's right. And remember the parading of our own Prime Minister, Iron John Howard, making Australia a a member of the Coalition of the Willing. And finally in that whole episode, the fake mission-accomplished show by President Bush the Younger on a US warship safely anchored somewhere far away.
0: Yeah, so who says the West doesn't do propaganda? We're we're obviously very good at it.
1: The Guardian has published an extra collection of stories about that dreadful episode in history and its ongoing aftermath for the people in Iraq and elsewhere. The final comment in the editorial piece of that series of The, in the Guardian by Tracer McVeigh was short but pregnant. And I quote, 20 years on, it has never been clearer that the millions who marched against the Iraq war, three million in Rome alone, were a whole lot smarter than the leaders who were so keen to start it, mm-hmm.
0: And then, And then we had the realization that The 2003 Iraq War was just one of many U.S. wars.
1: Yeah, just a little bit of a a, a series just to remind us. Going back to the late 80s, as the USSR was disintegrating, it seemed to many of us, loving peace, as if the Cold War and its many proxy interventions would fade into the past. But U.S. interventions continued starting with the 1989 invasion of Panama in Central America.
0: Yeah, ironically, that was codenamed Operation Just Cause, and incidentally, it was a violation of international law.
1: That's right, as there have been many. And then following up on that one, there was the first Gulf War, Kuwait, in 1999. In '90, first intervention in Somalia. '92, former Yugoslav wars and the war in Haiti. In 19, also in the 1990s, and in the new millennium, the second Iraq war, Afghanistan, Yemen, Libya, Syria, several interventions in Central Africa, and now Ukraine and China, and obviously the U.S. The U.S.'s other sub-imperial power, Israel, remains a handy and well-funded support base in the North Africa-Middle East corridor, partly for its own interests, partly in servitude to the US or more generally the West.
0: Yeah, so Australia is not the only sub-imperial power.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think in many respects... What Clinton Fernandez, whom we quoted a couple of times in our previous programs, suggests about the role of Australia would totally apply to Israel as well. In addition, the US was directly involved in a number of so-called color revolutions. Movements in a series of countries with tactics including fake news, manipulation via social media, diplomatic pressures, steering public discontent, and internal and external pressures on elections, and so on. Instances where that has been tried is not, if not always successfully, include Brazil, Bolivia, Venezuela, Cuba, Honduras, Nicaragua, and so on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so... There are lots of ways, Jacques, Mm. I guess. And we are going to put information, uh, it's a lot of information, Mm -hmm. and we will put some links on our program page. Mm -hmm. But I guess, Jacques, the message is there are lots of ways Mm. that the US has been interfering for quite a long time with, um, um, interfering with and undermining other regimes and their governments, often democratically elected. That's right. Absolutely. And then, of course, um, add on to all that, the NATO military expansion up to Russia's border, which we've talked about quite a few times with 14 additional NATO members member states virtually surrounding the southwest borders of Mm, Russia that's right
1: all militarily integrated and basically steered by the United States military and Ukraine was to become its next member and plus several rather far away partner nations that is far away from the north atlantic ocean which actually gave its name and meaning to the first two letters of the acronym nato namely the north atlantic treaty organization
0: yeah nato and with those far away nations <laughs> um, to <laughs> join um looking at joining nato including colombia and us as
1: Australia. partners, so there you go. Which explains our, our funny involvement in Ukraine as well. Now to some music. Say peace by Blue King Brown.
2: Somebody say
1: You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855 AM on your dial and streaming live at 3CR.org.au Today we're talking for the third time in a row about warmongering involving the West, especially the US and Australia's role in all of this. Now to outline other global exercises of power by the US, there are and lots of times not really talked about. There are over 20 countries subjected to and severely damaged by economic sanctions and blockades by the US. The best-known and longest-lasting blockade of that type is, of course, Cuba. But others subjected to economic punishments by the US are the usual suspects, Russia and China, and lesser-known enemies of freedom and the Pax Americana countries like Zimbabwe and Sudan. And those sanctions operate in a variety of ways and address distinct paths of the political economy of the identified misbehaving countries. Mm,
0: That's right, shark. With the US using its considerable economic heft to strangle and squeeze those countries in different ways, with whole population suffering as a result
1: yeah and severely so and what then also often happens is that the US lets its allies also do the same blockading Mm -hmm. so it's a multiple kind of an attack on those countries so how can we understand how all of this hangs together and how it all adds up to what we have suggested is the US's imperative to maintain global dominance and global hegemony
0: Yeah, while it exercises its imperial, uh, I guess, political, economic and ideological power. So
1: using the remaining 10 minutes of our program, we'd just like to indicate some of the geopolitical shifts that are occurring and that begin to explain what's really going on. So how has the world looked at all of this? Research by the Bennett Institute at Cambridge University in the UK recently examined how worldwide attitudes towards the major international powers, China, Russia and the US, are shifting in the wake of the Ukraine war Mm. and in the wake of China's rising assertiveness and recent challenges challenges to American democracy, internally particularly as well. The Bennett Institute reports that Western democracies, and I quote, stand more than firmly more firmly than ever with the US with the war in Ukraine having galvanized democratic societies worldwide however in a vast span of countries stretching from continental Eurasia to Africa societies have moved closer to China and Russia during the last decade so China and Russia are now narrowly ahead of the U.S. in popularity amongst developing countries. Yeah,
0: which must be really scaring the U.S. That's far.
1: right. This divide between the U.S. and Russia-China has been a decade in the making. The world now torn between two opposing clusters, what they refer to as a maritime alliance of what we call democracies, led by the U.S., and on the other hand, a Eurasian bloc of so-called illiberal or autocratic states, centered upon Russia and China. This new cleavage cannot be reduced to simple economic interests or geopolitical convenience. It follows a clear political and ideological divide based on their fundamental values and institutions, which the Bennett Institute formulates as, and I quote, beliefs in freedom of expression, personal choice, and the extent to which democratic institutions are practised and perceived to be legitimate, unquote. Quote, yeah, so
0: I guess that, that's, that's the discourse we get from the US, That's right, right. yeah. So, but we know uh, economic interests are really central and mm, the yeah. US is really worried about the economic rights of China. Absolutely.
1: The strategy of the US has been for decades to keep its two main competitors in check, by undermining the commercial and political relationships other nations entertained and developed with Russia and China, especially the European Union, which itself became a strong economic competitor for the U.S., especially after the creation of the euro, Mm. the the, the currency that was, uh, I think, in the early 90s somewhere, Mm -hmm. yeah, mid-90s, I think, which at some point in time challenged the U.S. dollar, as the global exchange currency. How far the US succeeded in this becomes clear in a recent joint statement by European Union Commission President uh, Ursula von der Leyen and US President Biden together. They stated, and I quote, we have a common interest to prevent capital, expertise and knowledge about our businesses that would stimulate the technology technological progress and which would improve the military and intelligence capabilities of our strategic rivals, especially through in our investments uh, yeah. And today's age, very clearly in, the, in its uh, uh, world pages, confirms that.
0: These, uh... So Jacques, so just to, I think mm. I should just reframe it though um, so it's a joint statement between the European Union and the u s yeah. um, and and they're clearly stating that they have a common interest mm-hmm. in right. preventing capital expertise. Mm. and um, knowledge that yeah. would advantage rivals. That's yeah? correct. They have a co- common interest That's in r- suppressing rivals. That's correct.
1: Yeah. The, the title of an, of an article in the Age today, European Commission President Warns the European Union, China Wants World to Depend on It as if the world wouldn't have depended on the US in that kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and they just project it now onto China. Yeah. So it's a really interesting kind of a time we live in.
0: It's a sort of what you call in Freudian terms projection. T- totally. Projecting on others yeah. what you're doing yourself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, there is a res- But there is quite some resistance from a number of European Union nations, as there is from many other nations across the globe. They actually want to remain a partner of the U.S., but they refuse to be their vassals. And they don't want to completely split from China nor from Russia. Mm -hmm. This is in spite of their condemnation for the Ukraine invasion, and despite the NATO extensions and other illegal interventions in the internal affairs of other nations, and even the clamor around the Pacific and Taiwan. The China-Russia link has gained a lot of strength regardless. Mm -hmm. China has developed itself, for example, from a (laughs) developing country, as we used to call it, to an economic superpower. Since it became a member of the World Trade Organization, the WTO, in uh, 2002, it was, its economy grew further four times, as large as it was 20 years ago. Mm. So uh, it also created alliances with a host of southern nations which have grown dramatically, especially the so-called BRICS countries, B-R-I-C-S, C-S, which, is an a- which is an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, and we
0: don't hear about that.
1: No, those countries we certainly so don't. Absolutely not. Uh, who are actually intent on growing and about to include Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey, who are and or were traditional partners of the West.
0: Yeah. So, Shark, I guess. Um Perhaps that's all offering some counterbalance to global dominance by the U.S. with its allies.
1: That's right, exactly right, and it's lots of people who uh, don't want to align with either of the blocks. Yes, you know they and want to stay coming yeah. under a lot of pressure. And that has a long tradition in the United Nations. There was a block of ninety to a hundred countries who always uh, res- uh, basically resisted to be aligned with yeah. either the mm-hmm. two blocks in the Cold War. Mm. So China co-started, for example, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which integrates a number of Asian uh, countries. The Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership in Southeast Asia, uh, close to two-thirds of the world population are part of that. And then there's the Belt and Road Initiative, which saw so exercised the Morrison government when Victoria joined that immense economic initiative.
0: Yeah, and of course... Uh Premier Andrews is visiting them again, and and of course coming under a bit of fire in the age, predictably.
1: Well, that's right, also because he didn't invite the press to go with him, which for pretty good reasons, I would say. Mm -hmm. Russia also has friendly relationships with several African, Middle Eastern and Latin American nations, and many of those have refused to practically join the West in its actions against Russia for its Ukraine invasion, whilst while basically criticising it. The former Malaysian Prime Minister commented that the war between Russia and Ukraine has been caused by the love of Europeans and the US for war, hegemony <laughs> and dominance, unquote.
0: Well, that's a pretty clear calling it out, isn't that's it?
1: That's right. In addition, a really important but not much talked about process is the de dollarization
0: de <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> that's right, of the world economy. A great deal of the dominance of the US is based on the dollar, its dollar having become the global currency. This happened in the, or during the Nixon years in the early 70s when the dollar replaced the gold standard to, to regulate exchanges between nations yeah. and so nations right, and their currencies. So, value
0: being based mm. on US currency that's, rather than on gold. That's correct. Uh-huh.
1: The US can, without real limit, pay for its own national debt by just printing new dollars. Oh
0: my gosh, that's that's so extraordinary when you think of it, to Mm. be able to pay your debts by printing new money. That's right. And
1: there's more. The U.S. can freeze the accounts of other nations in the case of political discord. But now several nations in their commercial dealings with Russia and China are actually paying their transactions in ruble, or yuan. Meaning? That they avoid the dollar as the exchange currency, just taking away the power of the US to interfere in or manipulate fair dealings. Mm. As the Ukraine war began, The Guardian quite accurately subtitled an article which it wrote about this, titled White House knows the fledgling Sino-Russian axis is a real threat in Taiwan, and elsewhere, that was in early 2022.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so meaning the Sino-Russian axis is a real threat to the U.S.'s economic dominance. Yeah, if you want yeah? to consider it as a threat.
1: So we seem to be moving towards a geopolitical multipolar new world order, which
0: is a good thing, mm, rather than, than one polar.
1: Exactly, as long as those poles don't don't are not aggressive. That's with one right. another and as already experienced during the emergence of the European Union the US doesn't like it one bit and this also helps explain Brexit and several attempts to strengthen the so-called Anglosphere we have talked about in the past the Five Eyes, the Quad the Orcus where we have the talked about Orcus, a lot, yes. that's right especially since China has been rather successful at creating peaceful relationships between Recently, Iran and Saudi Arabia, who for years had been at one another's throats. And compare that with the West's destruction, or destructions in at least eight North African or Middle East nations. And it was China, that offered a peace or armistice proposal for the Russia-Ukraine war, which has been summarily wiped off the table by the West.
0: Mm, With uh, peace somehow appearing as a threat uh, to US global power. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess not to mention to what's referred to as the military-industrial complex. That's uh, right. uh,
1: So where does that uh, leave Australia? What role could we play in all of this? Could it be that Andrew's visits to China and the rather Andrews, That's yes. right. and the rather contradictory diplomatic advances of our foreign and defence ministers that they mean may lead to something more peaceful. Mm,
0: well, like I said before, the cracks are where the light gets in, so <laughs> that's right. let's not just hope, let's keep talking about it and joining with collective action for mm-hmm. peace.
1: Mhm. For example, you can join the Australian Anti-AUKUS coalition and if you want to register or be part of the activism against the AUKUS arrangement for war go to https uh, colon forward forward slashes anti-AUKUS coalition dot ORG and another forward uh, flash. So that's uh, anti-AUKUS
0: coalition, you Mm -hmm. could probably just google Mm -hmm. that. That's right. That's
1: right. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our program. If you want to send us a message, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available by podcast on your favorite platform. or via or, the or 3CR.
0: you don't like even. <laughs> That's
1: right. Or via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au.
0: Meanwhile, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray.